A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, so adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia, and it is currently 2.20 a.m. on Monday morning. Uh, I think it's September 26th, which is when this podcast is going to come out. And I won't say this is procrastination. I think that I creativity does this weird thing with me where, like, if it's not ready to be made yet, it's not going to happen. Um, and right now is ready is when this is ready to be made. It's like, okay, it's like when a baby's coming, it's like, time to have a baby. Um, but for me, instead of uh, pushing a... Uh, mass of human out of my uh, groin area. I push out creative things like blogs and podcasts. Um, I'm going to stop comparing um, making a blog to having a baby because I know they're totally different things. Both awesome, but different in a way. Um, Anyway, so uh, quick update on some things. Again, this week in October 1st, I'm going to be in Nashville, just attending a wedding. But if you're in Nashville and you want to hang out, I'd love to see you. Just tweet at me and maybe we can grab, grab coffee during the day or something. Let me know. Um, October 11th, um, I'm shooting to create an event called Thank You For Coming Out. Um, no details on that yet, but it's in the works. I'll let you know. Uh, October 12th, I'm planning on being in Santa Barbara, California for Closet Space, a panel on LGBT life and the future of the evangelical church. Um, I'm super pumped about that. Uh, October 20th through the 22nd, TRP in LA. That's the Reformation Project in LA. Um, you can get all of your tickets at reformationproject.com.org, excuse me, reformationproject.org slash LA. Um, and also if you have, if you're already registered for the Reformation Project, but you haven't registered for the Academy for Racial Justice, which is the pre-conference workshop, I highly suggest you go ahead and get your tickets for that because it's so important to know how racial justice and how queer justice and justice for women and justice for indigenous people, all of it's all tied together, people. And we've got to really like, if you haven't had any sort of like racial justice training, this is a great starting ground. It's a constant uh, education but this is where I got my first, um, so I cut my teeth, um, and I, it's it's going to be led by some fantastic world class facilitators, um, some really great friends of mine. So I can't wait to see you there. Um, October twenty seventh, I am possibly going to be leading worship at a event put on by a Methodist church. Again, that's also still in the works, but that's in October twenty seventh. So October is just land of travel, and I'm here for it. So today on A Tiny Revolution, I'm doing something a little bit different than what I've done before. Um, I kind of feel like teaching. And really, all teaching is, is just sharing with you what's going on in my life and what I'm learning. And I think that's all a teacher is, really. It's just a student who is also learning and who knows that there is no arrival point and they just talk to other people about what they're learning. So... That's what I want to do today, and hopefully this this blesses you. Hopefully you get some empowerment and encouragement out of this. So before I get into that, I'm just going to do my ending credits at the beginning now because when I do this talk, I don't want there to be like any sort of like extra stuff at the end. I just want it to be 
done. So um, if you didn't already know, A Tiny Revolution is part of the Bedlam Podcast Network. We're a collection of creatives that are sounding off on things that matter. If you like what you're hearing on A Tiny Revolution, go to bedlampodcasts.com slash shows and subscribe to everything else we've got going on. We've got Starving Critics, which is talking about entertainment and movie reviews. Too Real with Cope, which is talking about creative living and how to best overcome, you know, life when you're trying to be a creative. There's The Trust Fall with my internet cousin, Antonias Garcia, um, which I am excited to uh, say that I'm going to be on his podcast I believe in the next coming, either this week or next week. Um, We're still setting up a time to record, but that is going to be so much fun. Um, Go jump on all that. And if you are a uh, blogger, a writer, a creative, somebody who really wants to reach different audiences, um, Bedlam Podcast Network is a great way to do that because we have really affordable prices on our advertising, which makes it easy for everyday schmucks like you and me to get get our work out there. It's good stuff. Um... Yeah, so go to bedlampodcast.com for more information about advertising, get on the shows, and if you would do me a favor, if you would go over to the iTunes store and leave me a rating for A Tiny Revolution, especially after this show, um, it really helps. It connects people with the conversations we're having here, people who may need to read it, who need some encouragement. So go to iTunes, leave it a five-star rating, and let people know what's going on with A Tiny Revolution. It's the greatest. And also, if you want to support what we're doing here financially, because honestly, it, it costs money to produce podcasts and, you know, pay for hosting and whatnot, um, go, you can do that through Patreon. Patreon is a really great way for you to support creatives in your life and the content that you consume on a weekly basis. Um, even a couple dollars a month goes a long way, and there's some really excellent perks that come with being a patron. So if you go to thekevingarcia.com slash support, you can learn how to become a patron through Patreon. Okay, here we go. This is it. Um, I want to talk to you about breaking up with yourself. I want to talk about soil. I want to talk about hardship. I want to talk about rivers. I want to talk about purpose. I want to talk about surrender. Which sounds like these are all sort of semi-related things, especially if you come from Christendom, which is the context in which I work. So that's uh, probably a given on a couple of these things. Um, So let's just go ahead and jump in. Take a deep breath with me. And if you would, just like say this prayer with me real quick. God, I open myself to receive the things that you would have for me. God, I open myself up to hear your words And I quiet my own cynicism and I quiet my own uh, voices talking at me so that you can be the one voice that I hear. In the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. And I don't know if you're a praying kind of person. I don't know if you're even a Christian or even if you uh, follow the teachings of Christ. But I always pray in the name of Jesus because um, Jesus is the teacher that I follow. Um, I believe Jesus taught me the best way how to live and teaches a bunch of people the best way how to live. And so that's what I go with. That's what I just defer to as my spiritual practice. So quiet yourself, whatever it means to just quiet yourself and center yourself um, to receive uh, this thing that just kind of cropped up in my mind tonight. I think we've all asked this question. What am I here for? What is my purpose in my brief existence on this earth? On, I honestly 
hate it when people tell me that I'm so young and I've got plenty of time. I don't buy it. I don't buy that I've got plenty of time because <laughs> when I really think about it in like in like four billion years, like the sun is going to expand. You know, the sun that that's up in the sky is going to expand and encompass the earth and everything is going to go up in flames. And I'm just like, why is there a point to anything? That's like if I get really, uh, really macro in my in my thoughts about this. But time is such an interesting thing. And like people say, oh, you're young. You've got plenty of time to figure it out. I don't know that I do. I'm I'm just so painfully aware that this life gives me no promise of my next moment. Life doesn't say, oh, you know, Kevin, you can wait till you're 35, and by that time, like, you'll have a partner, and you'll figure it out. Like, I I can't. I could get cancer. I could get hit by a car. Someone could come into a public place and just open fire, and I could be caught in the bullets that are flying around. You know, someone could just kill me because I'm gay. Because they hate me. Because they hate gay people. That's If that's not abundantly clear that we live in a world where you don't know what's going to happen next. Like, that's that's what I'm painfully aware of. And so that's why I'm, I feel so desperate to get, to do what, I, what I'm here to do, you know? So if I model my life like Jesus, and I hope to God that I do, like, at least a little bit, that I at least look a modicum like Jesus, um, then really I only have till I'm 33-ish, Maybe. And I, like, so it says, you know, scholars say that Jesus probably started his ministry around when he was 30 years old, right? And I'm wondering, like, okay, what was happening between the point when you knew, talking to you, Jesus, what was happening between the point when you knew that you had a calling and purpose and destiny on your life and age 30 when you started your ministry? What were you doing? Like, because if it were me, if I knew that I was, like, you know, God incarnate, I'm doing all these things, like, people say, oh, he was just preparing himself. I'm just like, I was like, but let's just imagine with me for a moment, if you will, a Jesus who's a little bit more like us. A Jesus who is a human who has fear, who has anxiety, who has questions about what's going on. So I sometimes wonder if Jesus was fighting God, you know, between the time he knew what his purpose was and leading up to age 30 when he stepped into his ministry. Was he just like, uh, no, God, no, you know, I'm just a stonemason or I'm a carpenter or, you know, like, I don't want to die or whatever. So, yeah, I'm just going to live my life like I have here because I've got a pretty good setup. Like, I've got my father's business. I've got my community. I'm taking care of my mom, you know, like. What if the entire time, what if Jesus knew his calling and felt the pull of God in his life? And simply, what if, what if Jesus was like talking to God saying, no, I don't want to do that because if I do that, everything's going to change. I have to give up my comfort. I have to give up my family. I have to give up this, my town, my hometown where I've always been. You got to imagine, like, you know, Jesus had relationships with people. He had brothers and sisters and a family and a community. And, you know, being that Jesus is a probably was a good, was a good man, is a good man. You know, he probably was like well-respected in his community. And so like to go off the rails, like most people thought that he did, they thought he was crazy to follow after what God was calling him to do. Who would really want that? People, and I'll tell you who, it's people who want to be in line 
with God. Like I think Jesus is inspiring and beautiful in that way, not just because I believe that Jesus is the son of God and my savior, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that Jesus sets this incredible, inspiring example of what it is to follow after God and the thing that God is calling you to, even when it's not convenient, even when people call you crazy. And so it, it just makes me wonder. I just wonder like what was happening in those years leading up to it. Um, and frankly, like, hold on, where am I? So like, yeah, let's just think about that. What if Jesus was like refusing to step into his calling until age 30, until that moment when he just got to the point where like, he just woke up one day and said, if I don't do this thing that God is calling me to do, if I don't proclaim the better way, if I don't make known what God is doing in me, the freedom God has given to me, if I don't declare that the power rests not in the empire, but inside each one of us, I cannot truly live. What if that was what was going through Jesus' mind? And to to be frank with all of you, that is the kind of Jesus that I can follow. A Jesus who has doubts, who is actually fully human and simply aware, made aware of his divine nature by the Holy Ghost, who is also here to teach us about our own divine nature, about our own divine callings. And yes, I still believe Jesus to be the Son of God, so don't, you know, get the pitchforks or call me a heretic quite yet, but just like, think about that. I think it's so interesting if we could just wander in that, that world. So there's this thing we have to do, right? We all have a thing that we're here to do, a purpose. We all have an immaculate conception that God has placed in all of us. And when we are willing to just say yes to the thing that God has called us to, we are then able to step into the flow of it. So let's, let's, let's wander around doubting Jesus world for a second. So what if growing up, Jesus had all these expectations or even desires for his own life? What if he wanted a wife? What if he wanted to have some kids, a son to like carry on the family business, to be a good family member, a good community member. And yet at the same time he had, he knew like there's this thing that he had to do, you know, be the sacrificial name of the world or whatever. But really knowing that when he stepped into the fullness of what he was created to be, he would manifest the presence of God on the earth. Big things scare us. The more of God is scary. And I'm talking about the more like the bigger life that God has for you, the life abundant. It's scary because it's a mystery. There is no plot. There's no map. There's no 10 steps to whatever it is you're trying to do. There is no path. There is only trust. There is no path. There is only trust. And that's why I think the scriptures are called the lamp into our feet and the light into our path, because it does not illuminate the whole thing. That's boring. That's really easy. And that's not a good story. All we have sometimes is the next step, the next move. All we have is the choice to say yes to what God is doing. So imagine with me again, Jesus, 29 years old, he's working as a stonemason or a carpenter or whatever the hell he was doing at the time, whatever translation of the Bible you like to use. He's in his father's trade, more than likely. 
And he, I, I think maybe he's in the state of just like trying to do life or whatever. He's got these expectations. Maybe even his mother is trying to set him up with a woman so that he can get married. I don't know. I'm not there. But for years, God has been talking at Jesus all these brilliant ideas of what the kingdom of God looks like, of what God's really doing in this day and age, what the Spirit is doing. And one day God is talking so loudly at Jesus and just says, it's time, it's time, it's time. Are you ready? Are you willing? Will you go? Will you come with me? Will you show people what I've shown you? Will you do it? Will you do it? Are you ready? Will you do it now? And Jesus finally says, okay, fine, I'll do this. And it's one of those situations where I don't think it was almost just like, fine, I surrender. You know, God pursues all of us in the same relentless way of saying, do you want to come with me? Do you want to show the world what I've been giving to you? Do you want to co-create with me? And we all have the same choices. Jesus to say, okay, I'll do it. Um, so when he finally just says yes to God, what does he do? He, Jesus goes out into the river, meets his cousin, John the Baptist, gets baptized. And finally, in that moment, when Jesus surrenders whatever life he may have wanted in favor of saying yes to God and saying, yes, I want all that you have for me, that is when he was able to step into the fullness of who he was always meant to be. And I think that's all baptism, baptism it really is, right? The sacraments are an outward symbol of that which is happen, happening internally. People have often said it's symbolic of our present life, the death and resurrection of Christ, um, and how we're all wrapped up in that. But this particular scene where Jesus goes out into the river and is baptized by his cousin, um, this was before the crucifixion. So I don't know if that was really what Jesus had in mind when he went to be baptized. I feel like maybe this baptism, these first baptisms, were a symbol of entering into the flow of God, of washing away the smallness of our own life, of the little things that we want, and entering into the river of the spirit, of the divine flow of the universe. You know, it's a symbol of saying, like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit and rest in this God. Like, you know, wash over all of me, consume all of me, be all around me. That's what I think these first baptisms were really symbolic for, is saying yes to the drenching of the Spirit and to the way that God was, was bringing in, like, you know, the river that cannot be stopped. And so Jesus goes down and it says that when he emerged from the water, it says that the skies opened up and God speaks loud for all to hear and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done anything. He was simply saying, God, here I am. I'm entering into, into your flow. You know, you asked me to come to do this and here I am. And then it was from that moment, I was like, oh, I'm loved. Is that like the big secret of all this? Like I'm already loved. God is already pleased with me. And I think, what if that's the biggest secret in the world? And maybe the biggest and best kept secret in all of Christianity is that there is nothing to do. There is nothing to say. There's no prayer to pray. And there's nothing we can do or say or pray. It is simply is. Before Jesus even got there, before Jesus went and got baptized in the river, grace 
and love were already present. God was already pleased with Jesus. God was already loving Jesus long before he stepped into his calling, long before the desert, the disciples, the death, before the dawn of time. Jesus, the manifest presence of God on earth, was already completely loved by God. Let me just say that again, because like I, long before the desert and the disciples, the death, and before the dawn of time, Jesus was already loved by God. And it is from that flow, that foundation of love, that Jesus' ministry flourished. And this is the same thing is true for you and me. You have a purpose. There is something in you that you were designed for. It is going to look different than everybody else. And the question here, the invitation is, when are you going to get in the river? When are you going to stop pursuing all these other things, these jobs that you think that you want, these little bits of perceived security that you think you need before you step into the river to say, whatever you've got for me, God, I'm here for it. Whatever you're calling me to do, God, that's what I want to follow. And... The thing about it is, is that it could be painful and scary. It happens that way all the time. Like when we step into the fullness of who we are, not everyone is going to understand us. Think about, I mean, let's just use Jesus again, since we're talking about Jesus. Jesus stepped into the fullness of who he was and he was shunned. He was called radical and he was called, you know, a false teacher. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to step into the fullness of who he was, to speak truth to power, to empower the people around him, to say, actually, guess what? The kingdom of God is not over here or out there. It is right here in you. To proclaim the truth and the mysteries of God to the people and be called a liar, to be called a false prophet. Do you, can you imagine? Like That must have hurt. And how many times in your own life, when you strike it out, you're following your truth, have you been called crazy? Have you been called false prophet? Have you been called delusional? You're in good company, as far as I'm concerned. That thing that you've been given, that you're created for, it's that dream that you've been dreaming, that little whisper that you keep hearing. And I'm not talking about the pipe dream. I'm not talking about the, oh my God, I just want to be a blogger so I can touch all the people and they can be inspired. Or I want to be a singer because I love music and I I just want it so bad. Ooh, I want to be verified on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook because then my voice is really going to mean something. No. If you're in it for the fame, if, you're, if you are pursuing something because you want to be seen and appreciated and loved, if you are trying to build a kingdom of you, you will be sorely disappointed every single time. Because if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it because you want to be loved and you're working for love rather than working from love, you're always going to be disappointed every single time. Your calling is not what is going to make you happy. Your purpose is not what is going to bring you fame. Your calling and your purpose is what's going to make you whole. Let me say that again. Your calling is not what is going to make you happy. Your purpose is not what is going to bring you fame. Your calling and your purpose is what is going to make you whole. It's that thing that even when you're doing it, 
even if no one is around, no one ever sees it, even if everyone says it's complete shit, but you do it anyways because it makes you come alive. It brings you peace. It brings you that feeling of right now in this moment, all is right with the universe. This is where I feel God most strongly. That is your call. That is your purpose to be loved and to love what God created in you. It could be an artistic expression that you enjoy. It could be loving a kid, like kids with Down syndrome or old people who are neglected. It could be nature. It could be designing things. It could be teaching, playing music, reading, exploring the wonders of the universe through science and math and technology. It could be being a mother, a father, a brother. It could be being a youth worker, a social worker. Um, it, it, it is you. It's whatever that thing is that just is quintessentially you. God is in everything and through everything. And so the goal of our lives is simply to go find out how to connect with God, to connect with that space. Your calling is to seek out divine union in every moment. Your purpose is to be loved by God, to accept that love, to love yourself enough to do the things that are going to lead you to life. And in doing so, you reciprocate that love to the universe. And then when you are filled up by God, when you are filled up with love, you cannot help but pour it out. And it leaks out onto everything around you. You just can't help but spill because you're overflowing, because you're connected to the source. And we so often forget that we are always connected to the source. And that happens when we let our ego get in the way, when we let our own small desires for security, for a job, for that boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, for our dads to like us, for our moms to finally approve of us, to get our recognition from our pastors or from our community, whoever. It's when we're seeking out these little things that have to do simply with, I need to feel good. I need other people to tell me I feel good, rather than already knowing that God looks at you and says, it is very good what I created. The only way we enter into the flow of what God is doing is when we're willing to break up with ourselves, to break up with that ego that says, I need to be seen, and get into the relationship with the spirit that says, I have been staring at you since before the universe was, and I love you, and I see all of you, and all of who you will become, and I say, it is very good. Maybe that's what you needed to hear today, because I know that's what I needed to hear today. So I'm, I honestly, anytime I do things like this, I'm mostly teaching to myself and preaching to myself. So maybe that's what you needed to hear today. Maybe you need to take a moment to center yourself and say, God, help me feel that truth. Help me feel your eyes on me. Help me break up with all the shit that says I've got to perform and do and make and help me say no to the mindset that says I need to be anything other than your child. The only way we find purpose and thereby find our peace in this life, find our joy in this life in a sustainable way is to say yes to God. Yes to the next step. Yes 
to getting in the river and letting God speak love over our existence. And from that we move and live and have our being. Now, what does this mean in a practical sense, right? Because as we're searching for that thing, as we're moving closer to whatever it is that we are to do, we hit this thing called life, right? Sometimes, more often than not, perhaps, we hit the shallow spot in the river where, like, you know, we have to get out of the boat and drag it along with us or get out of our floaty and, like, walk a little bit and struggle. When we're in the flow and then just things happen, living in here in the Western world, like, we have things like bills and we have rent and we have like relationships and, you know, I got to take my kids to soccer practice and, oh, I got to go to church tonight or I got to, you know, go do things with other people that I don't really want to do, but I'm going to do them anyways because like I'm, it's what I'm supposed to do. We're going to hit those little speed bumps, these moments of adversity. Um, so let me tell you what's been happening in my life and how I am learning to reincorporate myself back into the flow and how I'm letting these shallow spots, these moments of adversity, like, mold me. Or at least I'm trying to let them mold me. So I'm on the job hunt. As you know, this is a shallow spot in my flow. And if you're listening to this when it comes out on Monday, or later today, I guess, as it were, um, I am going to be interviewing for a serving position at a burger joint. Because, <laughs> damn it, I've got bills to pay and a loan from my mom that I need to pay back. And there was a part of me at first that felt kind of humiliated by the fact that I'm going to interview for another food service industry job when I've got plenty of experience doing other things. And, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not below food service. Like, I, I and, and, and to say, like, you know, it's just my purpose isn't there. And there ain't nothing wrong with earning a living, providing for yourself, your family, like working in the service industry, more power to you. If that's where you're supposed to be, be there. If you're there for a time to do other things, like be there. Like, but I know it's not my purpose and, or my destiny. And if I can be frank with you, which I hope I can be frank with you because this, this is our time together. What I want to do, what I'm here to do is to write about love, to talk about love, and to tell people that they are loved, and that is it. And if I can find a way to fund that, be it working at a burger joint or somebody paying me to come and speak at their university or church or whatever, so be it. I'm going to do it. So whatever it is, whatever's going to come my way, I, I'm going to do it because I know that it's going to bring me closer to my destiny, my purpose, my my ultimate flow. But the thing is, I hate searching for a job. And I will confess to you, like, I hate having a, I hate having to schedule my time around someone else's or, or going into an office or covering up my tattoos or playing respectability politics and trying not to sound too gay, but also still being myself, um, and still being fun, but not too fun because if I'm too fun, I'm going to distract people or I'm going to offend somebody because I'm just too much. And frankly, I also hate working for somebody else's dream or purpose because, like, if I'm working under someone, I know it's not exactly in the flow of what I'm supposed to be doing, and then I get too much in my own head and just yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, all I have to say, I'm looking for a job, and I hate the fact that I can't just work for myself. Um, and on top of that, like, I'm lonely. You know, losing my job has brought up a lot of insecurities in me that I didn't 
have before. Um, I've been lashing out at people. I have um, been questioning my own self-worth. I have been angry with my church. You know, it's like when it rains, it hurricanes, right? (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like when the storm is just raging around you and all you can do is just hold on to whatever tree is closest, hoping that you are not going to drown in the midst of your own personal chaos. It's like the shit hits the fan and literally it goes everywhere. It's on you. It's on your friends. It's on the walls. It's on the floor. It's all over your car. It's in your car. And for a while, you just kind of look at the shitty mess of your life and you don't know how to start cleaning it up because you're just, you're like, damn it, this happened. Dot, dot, dot. Now what do I do? So honestly, like losing my job recently, it threw me for a loop because I had a plan. I was going to stick it out with this org for at least a year because my tendency is actually to run on to the next big thing as I've made abundantly clear. Um, and then it's one of those things where I feel like this, me losing my job was kind of just like a reminder of like, just kind of like that plans, like real creating plans is like a fool's errand sometimes. Like when I face adversity like this, like the first thing that happens is like, I want to work around it. I want to figure out, I need to find a job. I need to figure out how to fix this. I need to figure out how to provide for myself. Um, and I get into this mindset of just like, I'm going to be thoughtful and strategic and I'm going to work this thing out. And I like my spiritual practices plummet because I'm in fix it mode, but that's not what's happening this time for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe it's like, I'm just, I have people who are able to point it out to me or maybe it's, um, more emotionally healthy than I've ever been. Or maybe all my prophetically gifted friends who have been you know, praying for me and telling me things that I really don't want to hear. Like, I'm feeling every bit of this pain. I'm feeling every little bit of this unknown moment. And what is strange to me is that at the same time as I am grasping, like, what I think the next thing is and pulling it towards me, you know, stating my truth and stepping into what I feel is the best route for my life. I keep getting hit with these disappointments and these failures. You know, I've applied for 27 jobs. I've interviewed with four of them and I've heard nothing back from anyone. And, you know, and then I've gotten a couple of already like emails that say, thank you so much, but no thanks because, you know, we're going to go with somebody else. And that just, it intensifies that feeling of failure. Um, And I feel like I'm doing something wrong sometimes. And I feel like I'm getting punished for something, even though like when I like, when I zoom out out of like my feelings and what's going on inside my body, I know that's not how God works. I know that's how, not how the universe reacts to our choices. And I know that's not the purpose of adversity. Like, and now this is all coming from like the zoomed out perspective. And I think this is what mindfulness and what I think being conscious of our life can do for us because rather than reacting out of our emotions all the time, which is what I am in the tendency of doing as a very, very strong empath and feeler is that I oftentimes will feel very, very deeply what's happening and I'll react out of that rather than looking at adversity as my teacher. Um, 
I think adversity, honestly, it exists to teach us something because oftentimes we'll see adversity as, or as like either like a cosmic cruel joke or like we made a bad choice. But really the thing about wrong choices, whether it's like the wrong job, the wrong relationship, you move to the wrong city, you got the wrong degree in college, whatever, like you made a choice. And it wasn't necessarily the wrong choice. In that moment, it felt like the right thing. It felt like the cool thing. It felt like this is what I'm supposed to do, maybe. And even if it was a quote-unquote wrong choice, um, it's still good because all that is simply doing is redirecting you back to your flow, to your path, to what God is doing. And so if we can look at these failures, these moments of adversity as our teacher, we are living into our highest self. When we do this, when we, when we see adversity as here to redirect us, that's when you see starlight in the midst of darkness. When you use adversity as a tool to put you back on your path, you can see resurrection on the other side of death. You can see deliverance past the desert place. You can see harvest on the other side of hardship. There is a scripture that I've been really like just digging into recently. It's from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. It's in chapter 13. So I'm just going to read that. Um, Jesus is uh, out by the lake and people are following him, and the crowds were so big that he went out on the boat so he could just like yell from the water to the crowds. And I don't know how big these crowds were, but just apparently big enough to where he needed to get away from them, which I have the same thing. If there's too many people around, I'm just like, get away from me! And I don't Yeah. That's what Jesus said, right? Just kidding. I don't think he did that. He's probably a lot nicer than me, one would imagine. Anyways, so Matthew 13. Um, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came. And the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. And the passage goes on, and Jesus gives this meaning of the parable of the types of ground as like the state of people's hearts, um, or spirits, or whatever, and that the soil, that only the soil that is good is able to receive the word, to receive the things that God is giving them to reap the subsequent harvest. And the people I know, the people who I see as modern heroes of our faith, are the ones who didn't shy away from adversity or pain. They stuck it out, right? They leaned into this great unknowing. They leaned into this painful moments. They were the ones who said, yes to God, knowing that God is in the midst of their su suffering, the soil of their heart was broken up and tilled by what they were walking through. And because of that, they walk in their full purpose. And so I think that we have to shift our thinking about adversity and hardship. And I'm again, I'm preaching to myself, I need to do this. I 
feel like my heart is being broken over and over and over again. It's being pierced and turned over and over and over again. And my hope is limited and I feel worry creeping in. But somehow I'm trusting that this breaking of my heart, this this tilling of my soil is producing fertile ground for something bigger and better and more in line with my calling. You know, maybe I lost my job because God was making a way for me to step into the more of who I am. Or maybe it was just a sucky situation and that's how the world works. I don't know. But I choose the former because frankly, if I choose the latter and just say, oh, it's just random, like, like I can't give it, I don't want to accept that. I choose to shift my perspective on this momentary pain and see it as an opportunity to choose hope over despair, to choose love over anger. I get to make that choice and you get to make that choice too. It is so easy to get angry. It is easy to lose hope and that truthfully, it's not interesting. It doesn't make for a good story. You know, someone who's like, oh, you know, he hit a hard thing and then he quit. That's boring. That is a story that nobody tells. The stories that people tell is they hit hard times, they lost everything, and then they got their shit together and they kept going. They kept following the voice of God. Because you know what? I look at Jesus and that's exactly what he did. Traveling, he had no place to lay his head and he just kept going. He said, I only do what my Father in heaven is doing And so I think in the midst of this hard time, I'm going to ask this question, what will I do to ready myself for the harvest that God has for me? And I ask you the same question, what will you do to ready yourself for the harvest God has planned for you? And I believe the answer is to surrender what is happening. Surrender our fears our own plans, our own expectations, surrender it all and come into the rest of God. Come into the, get in the river that, and, and let the peace that passes understanding wash over us, trusting as a child of God, as an heir to the universe that I will be provided for, that I am still being guided even in what could have been a mistake or a wrong choice, that I'm still moving and breathing, and having my being in God. And I take a deep breath, and I say, okay, this is happening. This pain is real. Now, what will I do? And this attitude, it activates me to move to move on without disregarding what's really happening. If I need to cry, I'm going to cry. And I've done it a lot lately. And if I need to go into a cave, like, then just, like, stay in my room and just, like, be a, a hermit for a while, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, and then I'm going to take a deep breath and remember that there are greater things to come and to get my ass back to work. Isaiah 14 has this really great prophetic word that I've totally taken out of context, but I've been kind of speaking it as a mantra for myself. As I ha- and it's, it reads this way, God is talking to Israel and he says, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. And then a couple of verses later it says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed it, and who will annul it? For the Lord of hosts has purposed it, and who will annul it? 
God's purpose for your life is going to get accomplished with, with or without you. Let me tell you that much. If God has a plan for your life, then who's going to stop it? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? That's a song I sing at my church. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nothing. It's also written that no weapon formed against us can stand. Your purpose cannot be annulled. Hear that, sisters. Hear that, brothers. Hear that, siblings. Your purpose can never be annulled. God's plans for you are big and beautiful, and nothing can stop them. And so I stand in expectation of a harvest greater than I can anticipate, and you should stand in expectation of the same. Trust that what is happening around you is not happening to you, but rather it's happening for you. Choose to shift your perspective and see adversity as your teacher and not as your enemy and breathe. For the love of God, take a breath. It's going to be fine. Because honestly, like you and me, we don't have any idea what God has planned. And there's a beautiful kind of invitation to surrender to that, to that, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you do. And I trust that you've got a bigger and better and brighter future than I can hope, dream, or imagine. So here's the invitation, church. Firstly, what is the thing that God's asking you to do? It could be a spiritual practice that you've been wanting to step into. It could be a physical practice a change in your job, a change in your relationship, a change in your church, whatever it is. Here's the question. When are you going to get in the river? When are you just going to say, yes, okay, let's do this, God. And trust that God's not calling you to a smaller life. He's at the only thing God is asking you to pick up is your small life. So you can step into the big one, the bold one, the one that's in line with your natural giftings and passions. When are you going to do the damn thing? When are you going to get in the river? And secondly, as you are pursuing these things, when you finally say yes to God and the calling that God has for you, are you prepared for the shallow spots in your river? For the places and times when you are going to run into this big, ugly thing called life? You know, how are you going to face your adversity? You know, and if you have chosen to step into that, how are you already reacting to your present circumstances? Like, truthfully, like, you're already in the flow of what God's created you to do. You're just not aware of it. So if you're walking through hard times right now, how are you reacting to your present circumstances? Because truthfully, how we overcome difficult circumstance is the same way we entered into the flow of our life, and that is surrender. It's letting the hard stuff break up the soil of our lives so that we can receive the word of God into our person, into our spirit, into our flesh and bones, and then reap the blessing that God has already prepared to us. Hurricanes will end. And then the shit that went everywhere when it hit the fan is going to get cleaned up. And then eventually a harvest comes. And every day we got to choose to show up, to just flow in the river, to till the ground. It's this weird thing of, I choose to be in the flow of who God is, and thereby being in the flow of who I am. And I choose to understand that I have to 
make sure I'm tilling my own heart and making sure my own ground is fertile. And yet at the same time, the way to do that is just to surrender into the flow of God. It's this weird both and mystic mumbo jumbo that I always talk about. But here's the thing you need to know is that the spirit says to you, I have been staring at you since before time and the universe even was. And I see you, and I love you, and I say, you are very good. Okay, that's it. That is what I had to tell you this week. That's what I think God is saying to me. And uh, I love you. I love you so much, and I hope that you have a fantastic week full of joy and light and peace. Um, This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I'm Kevin Garcia, and I will talk to you next week. Mwah!